wonder if we could turn in our Bibles again tonight to the book of Acts this evening and to Acts chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 1 of the chapter, the book of Acts uh, chapter 3, beginning our reading at the first verse. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carrying whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amusement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus Christ, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and kill the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers, but those things which God before hath showed, had showed by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of, the holy, of, of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing again to the reading of his precious word. Let's just unite at the throne of grace and prayer. 
our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, as we come at the end of our meeting tonight, we thank thee for this marvelous scene. We thank thee for the grace of God in the life of that lame man. And, O God, we thank thee for the dramatic transformation that was wrought in his life in a physical way, but also in a spiritual way. Our God, we thank thee for the faith that changed him. And we thank thee, our God, for the fact that by faith men and women can lay hold upon the grace and the mercy of God. So, our Father, we pray that thou wouldst move tonight, that thou wouldst speak through thy word, that thou wouldst give grace to repent and be converted. And we pray that sins might be blotted out tonight as thy word goes forth. Be with us and help us now, we pray of thee, for it is in Jesus' precious name that I would ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. My text is a well-known one tonight. It's verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Our text today comes from Peter's uh, second sermon after the uh, day of Pentecost. Here he is preaching in the courtyard of the temple. It's preached in front of a multitude of people who have gathered. They have uh, encountered a mighty miracle where Peter and John, in the name of the Lord Jesus, were able to see this lame man walk. And we think of how this man had asked for alms. And Peter had said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man uh, received strength in his feet and ankle bones. And not only was he able to walk, but to leap and to uh, praise God. So there was a dramatic uh, transformation in the life of this man. And we find that the people here are filled with amazement and wonderment at what has taken place. And that tells Peter two things. It tells them, for example, uh, they were about to reference John, Peter and John. And there is that element of hero worship here. They are willing to give Peter and John the, um, uh, the accolade for what has taken place. And Peter and John said, no, we have not done this in our name. It's in the name of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It is God that has done this. And here were these people. They were trying to put their own explanation upon it. It's what men do. They, uh, in the face of the spiritual, the supernatural, they will want to try and make an explanation that fits in with their uh, own experience of things. And these people were filled with amazement here. And they weren't willing really in the heart of hearts to acknowledge that God had done something, that a miracle had taken place, and that God in his mercy had wrought a mighty thing in the life of this man. And they wanted to explain away what had taken place. And of course, there are many people today who want to explain away the word of God and explain away the scriptures but the Lord is mighty today to do mighty things. And Peter here not only speaks, uh, he sees their hero worship, their desire to explain away what has taken place, but 
They are dismissing God in the midst of this. They are really writing God out of the picture, which is another thing that God, uh, what men do. But I want you to see that here Peter confronts them now with their sin. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murder to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So now Peter is confronting them with their sin. They have dismissed God. They have experienced, probably at least they have heard about the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet they are the very people that have put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And Peter says, it's in the name of Christ that this miracle is wrought. And this is the very one that you put on the cross. This is the very one, the holy one and the just that you condemned to die on the cross. And then, having confronted them with their sin, he applies the remedy. And here's the remedy. He says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of God. These people had dismissed the power of God in the mighty miracle that had been wrought. They had been those who had put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And here's a preacher who is willing to be pointed in his application. And he says to them, this is what you need to do. You need to repent and be converted that your sins may be brought blotted out. And it is the same remedy that is applied in this day and generation. And in every generation, men and women still dismiss the miraculous, still seek for explanations other than God for the universe and everything that is around us. And they want to write God out of the picture. And they want to uh, persecute those that preach the gospel. And they would label us as hate preachers. Or they would uh, uh, say that we're hellfire preachers. And they speak of that in a negative kind of way. But as we come tonight, we preach the same message that Peter and John did Here, just after the day of Pentecost, we say, Repent ye therefore and be converted. That's the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. That is the good news that we come to preach. And it is good news. Anything that purports to be the gospel that is not good news is not the gospel. This is the good news. And it may seem like good news to you tonight. It may seem as if it is something that's getting at you, but this is the heart of the good news of the gospel. This is what needs to happen. And so very simply tonight, I want us just to face the command, the exhortation of God's precious word. Here's Peter facing these people in their sin, the very people, many of them, who put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is what he says needs to happen in their life. Well, I want you to see then the repentance that is prescribed. He says, repent. This is the first thing that he says. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of the refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. If you were to look over 
in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, the writer of the book of Hebrews places repentance uh, from dead works and faith toward God at the head of the list of six elementary truths in God's word. This is where we start. There's got to be repentance. Now, I want you to see that repentance comes from having perspective. What do I mean by that? Well, it comes from seeing that you're going in the wrong direction. What what Peter is calling on these people to recognize when he says repent, repentance means to turn around. Repentance means to stop the way that you're going and go in the opposite direction. You're going completely the wrong way. And what he is saying here, really, as he calls upon them to repent, is you've got to recognize that you're going in the wrong way. The Greek word that is translated here, repentance, means a 180-degree turn. You have to do a, a turn round. It's basically a religious word. It, uh, or It's not basically a religious word. It comes from the culture of the nomads, the nomadic tribes who went through the desert. And, of course, there were no navigational aids in those days. They had no compass. They went by the stars. And if the sky was um, covered over, if there were clouds, they would often get lost. And sometimes they were going down a route, and maybe the sky would clear and they would see where they are, and they would have to turn completely round and go in the opposite direction. And that's the thought that is behind this word. It is recognize that you're lost. Those nomadics tribes, those nomads in the desert, they recognized that they were lost. And the first thing that you've got to see is that you're lost and undone, and you've got to get the perspective that you're a sinner, that you're lost in the sight of a holy God, and there needs to be a turnaround in your life. Dear friend, you're heading in a direction that is wrong, a direction that's not satisfied. You've got to recognize tonight that where you're going is not something that is going to bring you peace and blessing and is certainly not going to bring you eternal life. You've got to get the perspective. Repentance comes from having the right perspective that you're lost and undone. And then I want you to see that repentance is profound because we're not talking here just about a change of mind. We're not just talking about a change of principles. We're not just um, like turning over a new leaf. This is not just a superficial change when we talk about repentance. This is radical. This is deep down. This is in the heart. Many think that when they are converted, they um, are converted because they never miss church or that they read their Bible or that they have the outside of their lives, uh, as it were, the outside of the platter is all washed and everything on the outside is clean. And my, we think that we have done all right, but we haven't. In order for true repentance to take place, there's got to be a change in the heart. Now, I hope tonight that there is going to be a change in your heart. We're not just talking about a reformation. We're talking about a radical change, truly converted, truly changed by the grace and uh, and mercy of God. There's got to be conviction. Conviction will precede this 
uh, radical change that's in your life? Is God speaking to you tonight? Is God dealing with your soul? There's got to be that conviction in your heart. But then not only is repentance uh, something that it comes from right perspective, not only is it profound and reaches right down into the very depths of the heart, but repentance is present. It needs to be done today. It needs, you, the Bible says that now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. True repentance is not something that takes place over a long period of time. It is something that takes place in a moment. Perhaps we could illustrate it, for example, maybe take a man and he's been stealing from his employer and maybe he has stolen a couple of thousand pounds from his employer. And imagine that he goes to his employer and he says, you know, I have been convicted about this. I've been stealing. And he, what would the employer say? Would the employer say, well, you've been stealing 2,000 pounds this year. Just don't steal as much next year. Maybe cut it down to about 1,000 pounds and then 500 pounds the next year. And uh, just gradually whittle it down until you come to the point where you're not stealing at all. Is that the kind of thing that they would say? No, what they would say is stop stealing. Stop stealing. And what God is, God's not going to do a job whereby there is something that's going to take place, that's going to take place over a long period of time. He wants to stop your sin right now. And if there is a reality about the salvation of God, then God's going to do a work in your heart whereby he's going to give you the ability to stop that sin. And that's what we're seeing. God, in a radical way, changes the heart so that the things that you're longing for now, you no longer long for them. You'll still be troubled by them. There will still be temptations there, but there will be the ability to resist sin. That's what we're saying. But you need to come now. Now is the accepted time. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It takes place in a moment. But then I want you to see that repentance is practical. It's going to make a practical difference. When Gypsy Smith was in South Africa, Gypsy Smith was an old-time preacher. Um, he was, uh, as the name implies, he was a gypsy who'd been saved by the grace of God. But he was in South Africa. There was a fine a Dutchman came into his service and God laid his hand upon this uh, man that was uh, looking after Gypsy Smith and he was convicted of his sin. And this man got saved by the grace of God. And he went off the next morning and he went off to a neighbor and he said to the neighbor, do you recognize this watch? He had a watch in his hand. And the neighbor says, that's my watch. He says, there are my initials on it. He said, I lost that several years ago. He said, how did you find it? How did you come across it? How long have you had it? 
The man said, well, I stole it from you. But I got saved last night, and so I brought the watch back. You know, you know about in the 1920s, when there was the move of God in Belfast, and Harlan and Wolfe had to build the new uh, warehouse to house all the tools that the saved men brought back. And that, that warehouse is still there to this day. You see, it makes a practical difference. It's not, it's not airy-fairy. It's not just something that uh, takes place. But true, real conversion, real repentance, is something that will make a complete difference in the, in the heart. So repentance is practical. So we see the repentance that is preached here. But then I want you to see the realignment that is produced. Because it says, repent ye therefore and be converted. Now here's something else. We are to be converted. And this conversion also indicates a realignment in the life. The word conversion also has the thought of a turn round. Because the word conversion, the conversion that he's speaking about actually includes the repentance. Repentance is actually part of conversion. But while repentance speaks of the negative part of conversion, there is also a positive part. Because when there is repentance, there's a turning away from sin. We've said that there's a turn around 180 degrees. Those things that you were marching towards, those things that you look to, no longer are they those things that are attractive to you. So there's a change round. But then there's another aspect. In the turning, you not only turn away from sin, but you turn to Christ. And that's the other part of conversion. It's faith. Faith is the other side of conversion. Repentance and faith are the two parts of conversion. So there needs to be not only that repentance, that turning away from sin, but there needs to be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be converted. Now, I want you to see about this conversion that it is passive. Be converted. Now, that indicates that you can't convert yourself. That indicates that you cannot do this of yourself. It's not that you uh, repent and convert yourself. It says, be converted. And that implies that someone does that. And, of course, the one that does that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about the importance of conversion. Because it says, and the Lord said this in Matthew 18 and verse 3. He said, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of God. And he says, ye shall not. He doesn't say, perhaps ye shall not, or ye may not, or it may perhaps be that you may not enter into the kingdom of God. He says that ye shall not. And there is emphatic their um, declaration of the fact that if you're not converted, then you cannot enter into heaven. You're not going to be in heaven. He, in another place, the Lord spoke of those that will hardly uh, enter into the kingdom of uh, heaven. And the disciples immediately knew what he was meaning because they said, who then can be saved. They couldn't understand how he was speaking about the rich there, that they will hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
And he says that they couldn't understand how that the rich could not enter in. Of course, the rich, God is mercy. But God is mercy. But here were these people, and they could not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And if you're not converted tonight, if you're not saved, then you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we can't plead ignorance of that. These are the words of the Son of God, and ignorance before the law is no excuse. Um, we think of those that maybe go and they are trying to get to some place, and the government order is that you need your passport, you need to be able to show your documentation, and if you go and seek to get into the country or get into the place without that documentation, you're going to be blocked. And it's the same here. Without this conversion, without this change in your life, you are going uh, to miss out on God's uh, great eternity. Dear friend, there are many who are depending upon their outward religion, uh, depending maybe upon their religiosity, or upon the rituals and the liturgies of their churches in order to get them into heaven. The Lord Jesus said, except ye be converted. He says in Matthew 18 of Satan's objective, lest ye be converted. And that is Satan's object tonight. Lest ye be converted. He wants to hold on to you. He wants to bring you down. He knows in his heart that already he is condemned. But dear friend, he's holding on to you. Don't let the devil bring you down tonight. You've got to be converted. But then there's something else. There's the repentance that's preached here. There's the realignment that's produced. We're converted. But then I want you to see the removal that is proclaimed. Because when we are converted, when we repent and are converted, he says, he repent ye therefore and be converted. What, what? That your sins may be blotted out. If we repent and if we turn to God, then there will be a removal of the record of sin that is against us. There is a record of sin. The Bible speaks in many places of that register. And we think of, Many times when the saints of God in days gone by had called upon God to blot out the transgressions out of the register. For example, in Psalm 51 and verse 9, we hear David. And David's crying in terrible sin. He's in distress because of the sin that has in, uh, invaded his heart. And his heart is bleeding. And what does he say? Blot out, blot out mine iniquities. Blot out my sin. That's what he wants. And you see what David cried for here. But you know what David cried for couldn't be done on his day. He's under the old covenant. He's under the old economy. The Lord Jesus Christ had not yet died on the cross. In the Old Testament, there was a pointing forward to Calvary. And there was this method by which the sacrifices were made and the atonement was offered before God and the blood was sprinkled. But all that happened was that the sin was covered over. And there was a covering over of sin until the time when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and paid for that sin. And then that sin that had been covered over, 
is permanently blotted out in the uh, records of God. But you think of that, and here, uh, really, in many ways, it's covered over temporarily. Only the Lord Jesus Christ could blot out the transgressions. But you think of that, and maybe you think of maybe... Uh, maybe somebody was thinking, well, here's my sins covered over. If ever they appear, I, I pleading, pleaded my case to God, but uh, they might have been tempted by the devil to think, oh, if sometime those sins are uncovered, if those sometime somebody finds out about the sins, if, if as it were, God remembers about my sins, Oh, how big a predicament I'll be in. But my, what we need is that our sins are not only covered over, but that they're blotted out. And the Lord says, I can do that. I can do that. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, these are the words of God. He says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will remember Thy will not remember thy sins. I can do it, he said. And I same chapter, or the same book, chapter 44, verses 21 and 22, he prophesies the great conversion of Israel. He says, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins, return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. What he's saying here. Is I can and I will blot out your transgressions as a thick cloud. And he says, I return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. And there's the basis. There's the basis of the blotting out of the transgression, the redemption of Christ, the price that he paid there on the cross of Calvary, where he gave his life, where he gave his all, where he gave himself that we might have our sins forgiven, and that indeed our sins are blotted out. Now, when it says blotted out, it means wiped out, completely uh, obliterated. In, in those days, the ink that was used on the writing process, uh, ink today has a little bit of acid in it, and therefore it cuts a little bit into the page so that it is uh, more permanent. The inks that were used in the Bible times didn't have that. It was more watery-based, so that it, you could take a cloth and you could just wipe the whole thing. Um, it was very easy just to wipe it out. It was just wiped clean off. Everything was gone uh, uh, from the writing process that was there. And here is the big idea. That's what God does. He wipes it out. We are, we are justified in the sight. As we stand before God, as we stand before God, those that are saved, there is no sin against us. There is no, uh, nothing in God's books that stands against the child of God. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Our iniquities, all that we have done, the awful things the things that the devil speaks to us about, the things that we have done that we're ashamed of in the past, thank God those sins are blotted out. Blotted out. If you, if you look in Colossians chapter 2, look at 
Colossians chapter 2, and if you look at verses um, if you look at verses uh, 13 and 14 of the book of Colossians, and it says there, uh, verses 13 and 14, And you being dead in your sins, and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trans, uh, trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances against you. Now there you see again is this record, the handwriting of ordinances that was against you. But God blots out, wipes out the handwriting that stands against you. There are many, you sinner tonight, as it stands, there is a handwriting of ordinances that's against you. You've broken the ordinances of God. You have transgressed the law of God. But God says of these people who are saved that all of those um, records of their sin, it's been blotted out. The wage of sin is death. But the death sentence no longer applies because God in his mercy has blotted it out. How? Well, he says here in verse 14, nailing it to his cross. That's where our sins have gone. That's where my sins have been put. They've been nailed to the cross. They have been in the form of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore my sin in his own body on the tree. And in that sense, it has been nailed to the cross. And that list of sins, that list of iniquities that condemned me is no longer there because it's blotted out. Are your sins blotted out tonight? Is, is the record that's against you, the heavenly record, is it wiped clean? Thank God it can be wiped clean. If you'll come by faith, if you repent, if you'll be converted tonight, you can have the record that's against you wiped clean. And when you stand before God, when you stand at the judgment day, that record will not stand against you. Well, one more thing I want you to see, and that's the refreshing that is promised here. He says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And then he says, When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now the word, Greek word there, translated refreshing, only appears in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. And it means a revival, a cool refreshing. That's what he's speaking about. Refreshing by cool, pristine water. That's uh, maybe on a hot day when you are um, perspiring and you long for that cool water to cool you down. And th that's a favorite idea of the Jews. Of course, they live in a land that is very hot and very humid and uh, they uh, long for the cool refreshment. It's a favorite idea of the Jews. It speaks to them of that which is the height of luxury to have this cool refreshment. And he takes this picture of this cool refreshment, this ease from the heat, this ease from the burning heat of the day, and he speaks, this is the kind of thing that God gives to those whose uh, sins are blotted out. He's speaking here, of course, about heaven. The times are refreshing. He goes on, he speaks here about the time when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. We think of the Garden of Eden. We think of the 
blessings, the joy that Adam had as he walked in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. And here we have a return to that kind of a thought. They are cool. They are refreshed. They are revived. And that's what God does with his people. And we thank God for that renewal, that refreshment. The Bible also speaks about the renewing of our minds. Uh, We think of what it says in Titus 3 and 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There is regeneration. That's the new birth. That's uh, uh, repentance and faith towards God. And then there is this renewal. New life. New joy, new peace, a peace that the world cannot take away. That's what God gives to those that love him. But here is very simply, very directly, Peter outlines what needs to happen. It's God that does it. It's be converted, repent and be converted. We can't save ourselves But nevertheless, there has to be repentance. There has to be a turn away from sin. There's got to be a turning towards God. And God has promised that those that turn to him, turn away from sin, then he says their sins and their iniquities will be blotted out. What a promise. What a blessing to be able to stand before God on that day of judgment not be afraid, not be in any way uh, fearful of what will take place, but to recognize that it is well, it is well with my soul. I hope it's well with your soul tonight. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then come in repentance and faith and find the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. And maybe God has spoken to someone tonight. You know that you're not saved. You're not converted. You've never repented of your sin in the manner that we have spoken of. Well, come tonight and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy word to our hearts tonight. It's a direct word, a plain word. But Lord, we thank thee for the plain words of Scripture. We don't need to debate over it or uh, do, uh, get, get uh, our dictionaries out and uh, pour over what is said. We thank that it's perfectly plain and clear. And we pray, our God, that thou wouldst write thy word upon hearts tonight. And we pray that thou wouldst save the lost by thy grace and power. Be with us now and help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing a couple of verses of the hymn 279, Pass me not, O gentle Saviour, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. The first two verses of the hymn, and we'll stand as we sing.
tonight. Speak through thy word to every heart. Bless us now, we pray that thou would separate us in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety. Watch over us and be with us. And help us, Lord, to glorify thy name. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Amen.